Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Heather Michelle Lawler. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. I have whiskey today. Why? Because it's been almost a year since we've been locked in this house. <laughs> locked! Well, that got loud. I am very loud. <laughs> well, it has been almost a year exactly since the official lockdown in America went went down. Yep. Even though, was it ever really an official lockdown is the question. And if it had been, would we be here now? It depends on where you lived. It Yes. In America? <laughs> well, no, but like in New York... Because I was in New York when lockdown happened, and it locked down pretty hard for a bit there. Yeah, that's true. We were currently in Iowa, and it never did no. actually lock down at all. But You were on a boat, and it got real lockdown. I was on a boat, and actually, um, I looked this up like two days ago, because I've started seeing people's posts about, like, a year ago was the last time I hung out with my friends, or the last time I had brunch, or, like, it's like yeah. the people's memories on Facebook are coming up, and they're like, holy shit. It has been a year. And mine is uh, our last performance of Footloose, which we did not know was our last performance of Footloose, was March 10th last year, which was a Tuesday. This comes out on Tuesday, so it'll be the same date. Like, yeah. it'll be that it'll be time. A, a full year. A full yeah. year since my last performance of the show, which we never got a closing night, and that's hard. That's hard as an actor. Yeah. Like, that's... Although I suppose technically you did get a closing night. You just didn't get a closing night celebration. <laughs> we just didn't know. The show did close. It certainly did. <laughs> uh, we just didn't get to have that, like, teary goodbye to the show that you usually get. You get that, like, last bow and, like, that last, like, finale and... And it's this thing, but that happened to a lot of people. So, yeah. I mean, I'm not complaining at all because at least I was doing that. Just but acknowledging the oddity of how it went down. The oddity. And yeah, it's 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 crazy. It's been a year. Like, I'm just kind of like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, like in a lot of ways, it feels like it's been a year. <laughs> a lot of ways, it feels like it's been 10 years. And in a lot of ways, it feels like it's been a couple months. Like, it, it, like. A lot has happened and nothing has happened. Like I feel like for me, lockdown, the first few weeks felt just totally wasted. Like not oh, oh, not yeah. that not that I was wasted for several weeks, but that it felt like kind I've of a waste a of few. <laughs> but but that the the first few weeks I, I just I was sort of sitting around waiting for it to go away. Yeah, everyone. And then the next couple of months I was just it was the thing of like, well, I'm just trying to make the best of a crappy situation and enjoy my downtime. But the last six months or so, I've actually felt like okay. Um in that like we got this podcast started. Um, we got engaged. Yes, we did. Uh, I've been playing a lot more piano lately. Yes, you like, have. I've, I've been, I feel like We've I've been using adjusted. this time more wisely. Um, and maybe it's just that incredible human ability to decide we're okay no matter what the situation is. Adaption. Which <laughs> is both... I guess a good thing and a bad thing because on the one hand it's like well at least I'm not going completely insane but on the other hand it makes people more likely to accept shitty circumstances. Yeah, I I go in and out of that. I was I was doing really pretty good until like 2021 20, hit 
and then for some reason, as the as the memes started coming up of what are you gonna wear to the one year anniversary of quarantine, those memes started popping up, which I know are in good humor and like I don't fault anyone for posting them and like we all gotta cope in our way. But there was something about I saw like three of them in an hour on different friends like pages or whatever, and I was like. Uh, and all of a sudden, like my depression, like kicked, and so like it's been a it's been a roller coaster over the past couple months of like finding reality. And we're not at home; we're at yeah. a friend's, we're house sitting at a friend's place. So like, and we don't have Kitty. Lina's not been with us; she's with my parents, who got the second dose of their vaccine yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Yay! Um, so good. That that's good. There, like things are happening. It's just, yeah, we've we've all had to adjust, and here we are. We're all, you know. Pressing forward and yay, humans being able to adapt and get get yeah. it going. Life continues. Life will uh, find, find a, a way. way, as <laughs> Jeff Goldblum says. Oh, that is the motto of this whole thing. Life, Life will, will uh, uh, find a way. Find a way. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. A year. But, you know. Good things have happened. They have. So I've had an entertaining week. Yes, you have. I got to do some voice acting work. Yes, you did, which was very exciting. Uh, I, I got to record the role of the fox in the most recent episode of Plum Forest Podcast. Because you're foxy, baby. Because I'm so foxy or something. <laughs> I think that might be a word that has never been used to describe me. I don't um, know if not anyone, to your face. I don't know if anyone has ever called me Foxy. Not to your face. <laughs> um, but no, it's so Plum Forest Podcast. It's this podcast uh, that um, he, he does modern retellings of traditional Chinese folk tales. And they're done as sort of audio drama, audio plays. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to... Um, yeah, I got to read the character of the fox in uh, a story about uh, a race between a fox and a crab. Yeah. The episode is called The River Rock. And it's. River Rock! And it's, uh, well, it's a little bit of a. The tortoise Chinese the equivalent yeah. of the tortoise and the hare. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so if you uh, if you want to go check out the episode starring yours truly, you can head over to plumforestpodcast.com, spelled exactly like it plum sounds. Is, plum is in the fruit. Yes, P-L-U-M. Yeah. Forest with one R. Because it's not dessert. <laughs> with no silent letters. Dot com. Uh, and uh, check out episode 31, The River Rock. You'll get to hear me do some of that stuff that I got trained to do in grad school. And be foxy. And be foxy. That can't be taught, honey. (laughs) Speaking of other podcasts, do we have a promo this week? Yes, so we do have a promo this week. And I love that um, podcasters are so... um, I I love that podcasters are so good at speaking. At words. Words. Uh, It'd be a shame if you had trouble getting words out on this platform blah, 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 blah. that was all about getting your words Aren't out. I'm really glad I'm not reading really, this week. That'd be really unfortunate. Um, 
Yes, we do have a podcast <laughs> promo this week. We've been doing these amazing podcast promo exchanges with um, some other incredible independent podcasters. And that's one thing I really love about this community of podcasting is everyone's incredibly supportive. And this week we have Stolen From Me by Lindsay podcast. It's relatively new. And uh, why don't you give the promo a listen? Hello and welcome to Stolen From Me by Lindsay, a true crime weekly podcast and YouTube channel. I've covered such cases as Molly McLaren, Susan Capper, and Gemma Hater. Each week we take a look at each individual case and try to bring as much awareness to it as possible. You can find me on all your favourite podcast platforms and YouTube at Stolen From Me by Lindsay. Thank you and see you all soon. Goodbye. I love her accent. <laughs> You've got like an accent fetish. I I do. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, honestly, doesn't uh, everybody? We, if you don't, what's wrong with you? But like, honestly, these we've had three podcast promos from the UK, and I grew up over there. So like, I really just, I really love hearing um, the different like nuances of people's dialects. So I love her. I love her voice. It's incredibly soothing, and she has a lot of um, care and empathy. It's, I mean, they're very dark situations, of course. But you yeah, can she's, tell she's covering some heavy material, heavy material. And you have to be sensitive with that when you're dealing with true crime and you're dealing with like kidnappings and children and stuff like that. And you can just really tell that Lindsay cares and has done her research and is like her soothing voice. There's something about it that's just very, very nice. And uh, you should go check it out. Speaking of sensitive material. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember last week when I told you my poop stories? <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't listen to last week's episode, you missed out on uh, some deep um, uh, uh, un- unweighing of my childhood trauma. <laughs> it, it was it was a cleansing story. It it was cleansing, absolutely. <laughs> so go check that out if you want to know what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> but we're on to this week, so you yes. want to get going? Yeah, let's do it. What do we got? So we have another new author this week. All right, we are excited. on a roll. We are on a roll. I mean, there's just, so like, every week when I'm doing research, and it's every other week because we trade off, I I like want to go back to the classics. Like, I mean, there's so many amazing Poe and Woodhouse and like even O. Henry that we discovered and like H.G. Uh, Wells and Agatha Christie and... um. But then I'm like, no, we should try somebody else. And there the possibilities are endless. So this week we are reading Ring Larden- Lardner. <laughs> Ring Lardner. All right. You ever heard of him? Nope. All right. Doesn't even yeah. sound like a name. I well, there's a there's actually a story to that. Oh, great. So for this reason spoilers. <laughs> no, when I first saw I'm it in like ahead. When I saw it in like the uh, the short stories like that I was looking up, I was like, "Is that the guy's name, or is that the name of the story?" So it's their name. Um, I got my information from Wikipedia, the Indiana Journalism Hall of Fame, 
Britannica.com and Encyclopedia.com. Great. Yep. So, Mr. Ring Lardner was born March 5th, 1885 in Niles, Michigan, and he was the son of wealthy parents, was the youngest of nine children. (laughs) That's a big family. Like, good thing they had money. Uh, Lardner's name came from a cousin of the same name, and the cousin had been named by Lardner's uncle after a friend who was like an honored military commander, Admiral Cadwalder Ringgold. <laughs> Live your life with that name. Cadwalder Ringgold. Yes. <laughs> so he never right. liked his given name. <laughs> Shocking. So he changed it and abbreviated it to Ring. And that was always his like his nickname, and then that was always his pen name. And- Wait, so is was his birth name Cadwallader Ringgold Lardner? <laughs> no, it was Ringgold Lardner. Ring, okay. I mean, <laughs> that would be a rough weight to place on a child. Um, he graduated from high school in 1901, and he actually wrote the class poem that was recited at graduation, Aww. and that was reportedly his first published work. Cool. So there you go. Uh, he then attended Armor Institute of Chicago, um, failed most of his classes, and dropped out. And then, good <laughs> as most writers like, seem to do, like every good artist. It's very true. Um, and then he worked uh, starting from 1904 to 1905 as a bookkeeper uh, for the Niles Gas Company. So he's still in Michigan. Still in Niles, Michigan, working Just, for a gas station, like keeping the books and doing the thing. So. He kind of fell into professional writing and uh, newspapers specifically um, on accident and totally based on a lie. So here's the story. The editor of the South Bend Times, South Bend, Indiana, yep. uh, had come to Niles's, um like the, the house, his family home, to find his brother, Rex... Lardner, who was reporting for the Niles Daily Sun at the time. So his brother okay, was so doing his brother was already a journalist. Yep. And for the local paper, and uh, this South Bend Times was looking for him. And Rex was actually away with his family on vacation. So Ring struck up a conversation, and uh, it supposedly went something like this. And this is from, like, his, from the Indiana Journalism says, quote, I asked how much the salary was he was willing to offer, and he said $12 a week. Why, the editor asked. Oh, uh, I thought I might tackle the job myself. The editor said, have you ever done any newspaper work? And he said, yes, indeed. I often help my brother. That was a complete lie. He has never, (laughs) ever done any journalism, ever. But guess what? He got the job. (laughs) Great. So... Sometimes it's about right place, right, right time, time right and lie. just and just put yourself out there. Like what do they say actors always say you can do it and then you'll learn how. <laughs> it's the best story uh from Bonanza. So Lorne Green, the uh the actor who played the the father in okay. Bonanza, auditioned for the show and the casting people loved his audition. Mm-hmm. Thought he was great. They're like, okay, um, yes, you, you did this, you did this. Oh, uh, you, you're comfortable riding horses, right? And he, and he said, yep. oh, yeah, absolutely. I grew up on horses. He'd never seen a horse in real life. <laughs> yep. 
So he had to go learn how to ride a horse on set. Yep. <laughs> oh, he didn't even do it beforehand. <laughs> That's um, when I find the nearest dude ranch and I go, you got some trail rides? Uh, it. I, I believe that it was the sort of situation where he told the lie, got the part, and was on set like Within a week a later. Week. Yeah. Well, good for him. <laughs> But yes. Clearly it worked out for him, though. And clearly it worked out for Ring Laudner. So uh, he ended up, over the next five years, he was working for the uh, South Bend Times and then also was writing for the Chicago Tribune, the Boston American, the St. Louis Sports Examiner, and the Chicago Examiner. <laughs> so he he loved baseball as a kid as much as he loved um, literature and theater. So he actually wrote a lot about um, baseball. He was a like baseball sports writer um, for most of these n- newspapers. And throughout the second and third decades of the 20th century, even though we've never heard of him, he was one of the most distinguished writers and one of the most popular. Huh. Yep. Uh, he was known first for his sports writing, um, and then that culminated in a classic novel about baseball called You Know Me, Owl. Um, but his fiction... Um, that was often presented in like a monologue style became increasingly satirical and almost bitter. And like, he's been equated to like, like an Ernest Hemingway and like, that, like oh, wow. who he was actually friends with. So we'll get to that. Um, but he started writing more fiction as this went on. So he ended up getting married in 1911. He had four sons. John James Ring Jr. and David, <laughs> they all became professional writers, every single one of them. And I'll talk about them at the end. All right. So he had a, like I said, he loved literature and theater. So he also wrote for theater. He wrote a couple plays that never really went anywhere. Um, he wrote skits for the Zigfield Follies and a series of brief nonsensical plays that ridiculed the convention of theater, which reminds me of, like, Play That Goes Wrong. So he actually wrote, like, a skit where the stage direction said, the curtain is lowered for seven days to denote the lapse of a week. (laughs) 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 So, like, they didn't get done much, but they were really funny to read because, like, it's like... Like the play that goes wrong, which is on Amazon, which you should check out. Um, or uh, it's the, the goes show, wrong the, show. The goes wrong show, which is the group that did the play that goes wrong on Broadway. Uh, like they do, like these ridiculous, like literal interpretations of stage directions and stuff. So, so yeah, he loved that. He also had perfect pitch. All right. Um, and was my a- understanding is that is a blessing and a curse. Oh, absolutely. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. Um, Because I have far from perfect pitch, and it's still, like, rough sometimes when you're listening to things. Like that girl that was singing at CPAC, man. (laughs) All keys matter. Responsible for some of the most amazing piano videos. Ever. I have seen. (laughs) Also, there's a great one where an acapella quartet sings along with her, and the, like... I don't know how they do it, they but did they, the modulations. they manage to do modulations through her keys that make it sound better. Better. It's still rough. But it's still weird. It's still but they not make it sound more the Star Spangled Banner, but they like it's yeah fascinating. Yeah. So he had perfect pitch um, and loved composing and actually worked with people like that 
were very successful. Uh, like, I don't want to go into too much of it, but he actually wrote the musical Zanzibar in 1903 and um, contributed to June Moon in 1929. Uh, so, and there's a lot of published works that he is a contributing composer where huh. he like wrote a song here and there. Right. So, He's a sports journalist, he's a fiction writer, and he writes <laughs> plays in musicals. And he's a consulting composer. Yep. So, uh, you know, as you do. And he did all this by the age of 48 because he passed away when he was 48 years old. So he died uh, September 25th, 1933, um, after a night of playing bridge with his family and friends. And he had a heart attack due to complications with tuberculosis, which he had contracted seven years earlier. Sucks. Yeah. So he did all of that before he was 50 years old. So this is the legacy. So these are his sons. Okay. John was a newspaper man, a sports columnist, and a magazine writer, much like his dad. James was also a newspaper man, but he was killed during the Spanish Civil War, fighting in the war, in the Spanish Civil War. David Lardner wrote for the New Yorker. Um, but he actually passed away during World War II, fighting in Germany. And Ring Lardner Jr. was a screenwriter who was blacklisted after the Second World War as one of the Hollywood Ten. Yep. Screenwriters, yeah, he was one of the Hollywood Ten. Holy shit. Yep, he refused to answer questions uh, to the House of Un-American, Acti- uh, Un-American Activities Committee. Uh, he won two Academy Awards, though, for his screenplays, one before his imprisonment and blacklisting, and that was for Woman of the Year in 1942, and the other one after for MASH in 1970. He wrote MASH, which, the, of course, like the led- the movie? The movie. Holy which led to the TV show. Shit! I know. <laughs> when I was doing research today, and I kept going, oh my god, like, and- yeah, so, like, not only were all four of his boys quite successful journalists and, like, a couple had very tragic endings, but, like, <laughs> one of them is, like, it's his well, own story. And given given that two of his brothers died in the military, it makes sense that he would have... Done MASH. Yeah. Yep. So, wow. All right. So, he's, he's pretty amazing. Um, his great-nephew... George Lardner Jr. was a journalist for the Washington Post and won the Pulitzer Prize in 1993. So it's a family it's a tradition family now. Family that is good with their words. Very good with their words. Uh, J.D. Salinger referred to Lardner in two of his works, both The Catcher in the Rye and Franny and Zoe. Huh. Um, and protagonist Holden Caulfield in Catcher mm-hmm. in the Rye uh, quote says in the thing, quote, my favorite author, my brother DB, and my next favorite is Ring Lardner. Huh. <laughs> Which I I used to read that book often, so miss that part. Uh, Neil Simon references Ring Lardner in Brighton Beach Memoirs. Uh, Lardner heavily influenced Ernest Hemingway, who often wrote articles for his high school newspaper using the pseudonym Ring Lardner Jr., and Virginia Woolf and F. Scott Fitzgerald also profess strong admiration for his writing. That's bananas. I know. <laughs> this person we've never heard of. So, like, that's that's how? why I love doing this podcast. How? I know. How? It's incredible. So, today, you will be reading uh, his most famous short story. All right. Called Haircut. 
Originally published in 1925 in Liberty Magazine, so also new to public domain. All right. You want to do it? Yeah, let's do it. Let's start this fire. Haircut by Ring Lardner. I got another barber that comes over from Canterville, helps me out Saturdays, but the rest of the time, I can get along all right alone. You can see for yourself that this ain't no New York City, and besides that, most of the boys works all day and don't have no leisure to drop in here and get themselves prettied up. So we're in small town somewhere. Somewhere. All right, probably Michigan. That's where he's from. Indiana. Yeah, we're yeah. born in Michigan. Indiana. Yeah. That's it. That's it. I'm done. You're a newcomer, ain't you? I thought I hadn't seen you around before. I hope you like it good enough to stay. As I say, it ain't no New York City or Chicago, but we have pretty good times. Not as good, though, since Jim Kendall got killed. <laughs> when he was alive, him and Hod Myers used to keep this town in an uproar. I bet they was more laughing done here than any town its size in America. Jim was comical, and Hod was pretty near a match for him. Since Jim's gone, Hod tries to hold his end up just the same as ever, but it's tough going when you ain't got nobody to kind of work with. Wait, did he say died or murdered? He said died. Uh, died? Got killed. Go okay, so <laughs> murdered. So this guy that's from out of town sits down in a barber's chair, and the barber starts talking, and he goes... This place used to be a lot more fun before the murders start happening. I hope you'll stay. We don't know it's murder. <laughs> Got killed. He, he, he could have been hit died by a truck in or something. An no. accident? He could have been mauled by a tiger? I don't know. The way you say "got killed" sounds like it was um, uh, an intentional act. <laughs> Might, might have been. I don't know. That could have been in my performance of it. I don't I, know how this play ends, I, so this is just my best attempt. Well, maybe the curtain will go down for seven <laughs> for days. For seven days. And we'll see you next this, week. This could be a really long episode. We'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs> there used to be plenty fun in here Saturdays. This place is jam-packed Saturdays from 4 o'clock on. Jim and Hod would show up right after their supper around 6 o'clock. So it's the Midwest. Okay. So supper at Michigan. 6. Jim would set himself down in that big chair nearest the blue spittoon. Whoever had been sitting in that chair, why, they'd get up when Jim come in and add it to him. You'd have thought it was a reserved seat like they had sometimes at the theater. <laughs> And it is spelled theater. Yeah, it it's is. It's T-H-E-A-Y-T-R-E. Which makes sense because he wrote this for big city magazines and he's trying to paint a picture of small town, like Midwestern America, yep. where he's from. You'd have thought it was a reserved seat like they have sometimes in a theater. Hod would generally always stand or walk up and down. Or some Saturdays, of course, he'd be sitting on his chair part of the time getting a haircut. Wait, you just said the title. Of the <laughs> haircut. Getting a haircut. Dun, 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 dun. 
He said it. He said the title. Oh, oh shit. She really that, said that. You know what it reminds me of is the, the ghost story she tells in Troop Beverly Hills. <laughs> She's like, he permed me. <laughs> and all the girls scream. <laughs> Troop Beverly Hills. Oh, it's all Beverly right. Hills. What a thrill. Beverly Hills. <laughs> well. Jim would sit there a while without opening his mouth, only to spit. Finally, he'd say to me, Whitey, uh, my right name, that is my right first name is Dick, but everybody around here calls me Whitey. Jim would say, Whitey, your nose looks like a rosebud tonight. You must have been drinking some of the cologne. <laughs> so I'd say, nah, Jim, but you look like you've been drinking something of that kind or something worse. Ooh. Jim would have to laugh at that, but then he'd speak up and say, nah, I ain't had nothing to drink, but that ain't saying I wouldn't like something. <laughs> hint, hint. I wouldn't even mind if it was wood alcohol. Ew. <laughs> then Hod Myers would say... Neither would your wife. <laughs> that would set everybody to laughing. Wait, was because... that a sex joke? <laughs> <laughs> I want some wood alcohol. <laughs> and your wife might like that. <laughs> Neither would your wife. <laughs> that would set everybody to laughing because Jim and his wife wasn't on very good terms. <laughs> She'd have divorced him, only there wasn't no chance to get alimony, and she didn't have no way to take care of herself and the kids. She could never understand Jim. He was kind of rough, but a good fella at heart. Him and Hod had all kinds of sport with Milt Shepard. I don't suppose you've seen Milt. Well, he's got an Adam's apple that looks like a mush melon, so I'd be <laughs> shaving Milt, and when I'd start to shave down on his neck, Hod would holler, Hey, Whitey, wait a minute. Before you cut into it, let's make up a pool and see who can guess closest the number of seeds. Oh, my God. This guy sitting in the chair is like, okay, can you, like, get to it? Can you just shave me already and not make jokes about slitting about my throat slitting open? My throat. And Jim would say, if Milt hadn't have been so hoggish, he'd have ordered a half a cantaloupe instead of a whole one. It might not have stuck in his throat. All the boys would roar at this, and Milt himself would force a smile, though the joke was on him. Jim certainly was a card. There's his shaving mug sitting on the shelf right next to Charlie Vale's. Charlie M. Vale. That's the druggist. He comes in regular for his shave three times a week, and Jim's is the cup next to Charlie's. James H. Kendall. Jim wouldn't need no shaven mug no more, but I'll leave it there just the same for old time's sake. Jim certainly was a character. Huh. So he's kept his shaving mug, and he's like he's like the class clown of this town. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, but he's dead, and we don't know why yet. Years ago, Jim used to travel for a canned goods concern over in Carterville. They sold 
canned goods. Jim had the whole northern half of the state and was on the road five days out of every week. He'd drop in here Saturdays and tell his experiences for that week. It was rich. I guess he paid more attention to playing jokes than making sales. Finally, the concern let him out and come right home here and told everybody he'd been fired instead of saying he'd resigned like most fellows would have. It was a Saturday and the shop was full and Jim got up out of that chair and says, Gentlemen, I got an important announcement to make. I've been fired from my job. Well, they asked him if he was in earnest, and he said he was, and nobody could think of nothing to say till Jim finally broke the ice himself. He says, I've been selling canned goods, and now I'm canned goods myself. (laughs) Oh, Jim. (laughs) This is like the funny version of Death of a Salesman. (laughs) Lord. Well... We don't know it's the funny version yet. That is true. Well, they both ended up dead. Because, spoilers, Jim got killed. (laughs) So, basically, um, everyone, the American dream is bullshit. sorry, spoilers to anyone who hasn't seen or read Death of a Salesman. You haven't seen or read Death of a Salesman. Although, I guess it's right there in the title. Death of a Salesman. That is very true. And he's a traveling salesman. Uh, wow, Music Man could have turned out real different. <laughs> <laughs> Just seems like these traveling salesmen have a rough time in literature. Wow. Can you imagine Marion like stabbed him? Arthur Miller had written Music Man. Oh my god. It would have been amazing. He'd written he'd written the book. <laughs> Meredith Wilson still wrote the music, but Arthur Miller wrote the book. <laughs> it would have come down somewhere like chicken fat. Yeah, well, and it would turn out that... I just hope um, that uh, Win- Winthrop kills him <laughs> with his trumpet. He, like, bashes his brain. Have you ever seen anything so beautiful as the solid gold thing? The solid gold thing! <laughs> he turns into Bam Bam from the Flintstones. Oh, my God, yes. Bam and, Bam! And I want Ron Howard, ch- baby Ron Howard, playing the part. Oh, yeah. So that's yep. all. That's it's, all I need. It's it's still Opie. It's still Opie. It's still. It's just homicidal Opie. <laughs> oh good lord, Mayberry's gonna be a scary place now too, isn't it? Awesome. Ha. <sighs> <sighs> that's a tangent. He says, "I've been selling canned goods, and now I'm canned goods myself." <laughs> you see. The concern he'd been working for was a factory that made canned, canned goods. goods over <laughs> in Carterville. <laughs> and now Jim said he was canned himself. <laughs> he was certainly a card. He just explained the joke. <laughs> oh, my God. I love this man. Jim had a great trick that he used to play while he was traveling. For instance... He'd be riding on a train, and they'd come to some little town like, well, like, well, like, we'll say like Benton. 
Jim would look out the train window and read the signs of the stores. For instance, they'd be a sign, Henry Smith, Dry Goods. Well, Jim would write down the name and the name of the town. And when he got to wherever he was going, he'd mail back a postal card to Henry Smith at Benton and not sign no name to it. But he'd write on the card, well, something like... Ask your wife about that book agent that spent the afternoon last week. This is why I got killed. (laughs) Ask your missus who kept her from getting lonesome the last time you was in Carterville. And he'd sign the card, a friend. Of course, he never knew what really come in none of these (laughs) jokes, but he could picture what probably happened and that was enough. (laughs) This guy's an asshole. Jim didn't work very steady after he lost his position with the Carterville people. What he did earn, coin-odd jobs around town, why he'd spent pretty near all of it on gin, and his family might have starved if the stores hadn't uh, carried them along. Jim's wife tried her hand at dressmaking, but they ain't nobody gonna get rich making dresses in this town. Because <laughs> apparently there's like three women there. <laughs> As I say... She'd have divorced Jim, only she's seen that she couldn't support herself and the kids, and she was always hoping that someday Jim would cut out his habits and give her more than two or three dollars a week. Maybe she killed him. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. It's going to be her or, like, his kids or, or one, of, one the of the people, people he sent a postcard to. Or the person that runs the canned goods shop. I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's not making friends except with this barber. I think 80% of the characters are currently suspects in the murder of Jim, what's his name? the got dead. Oh, where was I? There was a time when she would go to whoever he was working for and ask them to give her his wages, but after she'd done this once or twice, he beat her to it by borrowing most of his pay in advance. He told it all around town how he had outboxed his missus. He certainly was a caution. (laughs) But he wasn't satisfied with just outwitting her. He was sore the way she acted, trying to grab off his pay, and he made up his mind he'd get even. Well, he waited till Evan's circus was advertised to come to town. Then he told his wife and two kitties that... He was going to take them to the circus. The day of the circus, he told them he would get the tickets and meet them outside the entrance to the tent. I'm going to kick him in the dick if he, like, fucking, like, leaves his children and wife sitting at the circus and, like, doesn't let them go to the circus. Can I make a request? Yeah. Don't get your heart set on this course of action because A, he is dead, and B, the only dick anywhere near kicking range is mine. (laughs) I'll kick a dead guy in the dick. I ain't got no qualms. (laughs) He's also a dead fictional character, so finding his body will be very difficult. (laughs) Maybe I killed Jim. And even if you can... He's been decomposing for 95 years. None stop me yet. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> How many 
corpses have you dug up after nearly a century in the ground and proceeded to kick in the crotch? I mean, I guess it's been a year in quarantine, honey, so I should start telling you this thing. <laughs> you really should. <laughs> Why do you think I love these true crime podcasts? This stuff a man would like to know about. (laughs) It's okay. You're not dead. (laughs) There was an implied yet. You heard that, didn't you? (laughs) Listener, you heard that. If these episodes suddenly stop coming out, you know what happened. (laughs) Hey, listener, come here. No, no, come over here. No, away from... All right, it's okay. She can't hear us now. Listen, you're looking out for me, right? Like, you got my back at this? Because if we just stop recording, you know whose fault it is, right? Wait, what's going on? Uh, uh, Nothing. I just... um, Come back. I just wanted to... um, uh, I was talking about a present I'm getting you. It's a surprise. Yay, present. Yeah. Is it two tickets to the circus? (laughs) It's two tickets to the circus. Please don't kick me. <laughs> well, he didn't have no intentions of being there or buying tickets or nothing. He got full of gin and laid around Wright's pool room all day. His wife and the kids waited and waited, and of course, he didn't show up. His wife didn't have a dime with her or nowhere else, I guess. So she finally had to tell the kids it was all off, and they cried like they wasn't never going to stop. Uh, I hate him. (laughs) Well, it seems while they was crying, Doc Stare come along, and he asked what was the matter, but Mrs. Kendall was stubborn and wouldn't tell him, but the kids told him, and he insisted on taking them and their mother in the show. Jim found this out afterwards, and it was one reason why he had it in for Doc Stare. Doc Stare come here about a year and a half ago. He's a mighty handsome young fella, and his clothes always look like he has the made to order. He goes to Detroit two or three times a year, and while he's there, must have a tailor take his measure and then make him a suit to order. They cost pretty near twice as much, but they fit a whole lot better than if you just buy them in a store. They make his ass look great. Yeah. <laughs> For a while, everybody was wondering why a young doctor like Doc Stare should come to a town like this where we already got old Doc Gamble and Doc Foot that's both been here for years and all the practice in town was always divided between the two of them. Then there was a story got around that Doc Stare's gal had thronged him over. A gal up in the northern peninsula somewhere, and the reason he come here is to hide himself away and forget it. He said himself that he thought there wasn't nothing like general practice in a place like ours to fit a man to be good all-round doctor, and that's why he'd come. Anyways... It wasn't long before he was making enough to live on, though they tell me that he never done anybody for what they owed him. And the folks here certainly has got the Owen habit, even in my business. (laughs) 
If I had all that was coming to me for just shaves alone, I could go to Carterville and put up at the Mercer for a week and see a different picture every night. For instance, there's old George Purdy, but I guess I shouldn't ought to be gossiping. Last year, our coroner died, died of the flu. <laughs> Ken Beatty was his name. He was the coroner. So they had to choose another man to be coroner in his place, and they picked Doc Stare. He laughed at first and said he didn't want it, but they made him take it. It ain't no job that anybody would fight for, and what a man makes out of it in a year would just about buy seeds for their garden. Doc's the kind, though, that can't say no to nothing if you keep at him long enough. But I was going to tell you about the poor boy we got here in town, Paul Dixon. He fell out of a tree when he was about 10 years old, lit on his head, and it done something to him, and he ain't never been right. No No harm in him, but just silly. (laughs) Jim Kendall used to call him Cuckoo. That's the name Jim had for anybody that was off their head, only he called people's head their bean. That was another of his gags, calling head bean and calling crazy people cuckoo. Only poor Paul ain't crazy, but just silly. He got brain damage. He fell out of a damn tree. So this guy who thinks he's the funniest man on the planet is calling him cuckoo. You can imagine that Jim used to have all kinds of fun with Paul. He'd send him to the white front garage for a left-handed monkey wrench. Of course, there ain't no such thing as a left-handed monkey wrench. And once... We had a kind of fair here, and there was a baseball game between the fats and the leans, and before the game started, Jim called Paul over and sent him way down to Schrader's hardware store to get a key for the pitcher's box. Oh. There wasn't nothing in the way of gags that Jim couldn't think up when he put his mind to it. Mm-hmm. Poor Paul was always kind of suspicious of people, maybe on account of how Jim had kept fooling him. Paul wouldn't have much to do with anybody, only his own mother and Doc Stare and a girl in town named Julie Gregg. That is, she ain't a girl no more, but pretty near 30 or over. When Doc first come to town, Paul seemed to feel like here was a real friend, and he hung around Doc's office most of the while. The only time he wasn't there was when he'd go home to eat or sleep, or when he seen Julie Gregg coin in her shop. When he looked out Doc's window and seen her, he'd run downstairs and join her and tag along with her to the different stores. The poor boy was crazy about Julie. She always treated him mighty nice and made him feel like he was welcome, though, of course, it wasn't nothing but pity on her side. Doc done all he could to improve Paul's mind, and he told me once that he really thought the boy was getting better, that there was times when he was as bright and sensible as anybody else. But I was going to tell you about Julie Gregg. (laughs) 
Old man Greg was in the lumber business, but got to drinking and lost most of his money. And when he died, he didn't leave nothing but the house and just enough insurance for the girl to skimp along on. Her mother was a kind of a half invalid and didn't hardly ever leave the house. Julie wanted to sell the place and move somewhere else after the old man died, but the mother said she was born here and would die here. It was tough on Julie, as the young people around this town, well... Like to get the fuck out? She's too good for them. Uh (laughs) She'd been away to school in Chicago and New York and different places, and they ain't no subject she can't talk on, where you take the rest of the young folks here and you mention anything to them outside of... Gloria Swanson or Tommy Megan, and they think you're delirious. Did you see Gloria in Wages of Virtue? (laughs) You missed something. (laughs) Well, Doc Stare hadn't been here more than a week when he came in one day to get shaved, and I recognized who he was as he'd been pointed out to me, so I told him about my old lady. She'd been ailing for a couple years, and either Doc Gamble or Doc Foot, neither one seemed to be helping her. I like to think Doc Gamble is like the psychiatrist in town that like helps people with addiction, and Doc Foot is the podiatrist. <laughs> and Doc Stare just like... Is an optometrist? Is an optometrist. <laughs> and apparently the coroner. And apparently the coroner now. <laughs> but against his will. She'd been ailing for a couple years, and neither Doc Gamble or Doc Foot, neither one, seemed to be helping her. So he said he would come out and see her, but if she was able to get out herself, it would be better to bring her to his office where he could make a completer examination. So I took her to his office, and while I was waiting for her in the reception room, in come Julie Gregg. When somebody comes in Doc Stare's office, there's a bell that rings in his inside office so he can tell there's somebody to see him. So he left my old lady inside to come out to the front office, and that's the first him and Julie met, and I guess it was what they call love at first sight, but it (laughs) wasn't 50-50. This young fella was the slickest looking fella she'd ever seen in this town, and she went wild over him. To him, she was just a young lady that wanted to see the doctor. (laughs) She'd came on about the same business I had. Her mother had been doctoring for years with Doc Gamble and Doc Foote and without no results. So she'd heard there was a new doctor in town and decided to give him a try. He promised to call and see her mother that same day. I said a minute ago it was love at first sight on her part. I'm not only judging by how she acted afterwards, but how she looked at him (laughs) that first day in his office. I ain't no mind reader, but it was wrote all over her face that she was Gone. (laughs) Now, Jim Kendall, Uh besides being a joke smith and pretty good drinker, well, Jim was quite a lady killer. I guess he run pretty wild during the time he was on the road for them Canterville people. And besides that, he had a couple little affairs of the heart right here in town. As I say, his wife would have divorced him, only she couldn't. 
Oh, I hate him so much. <laughs> but Jim was like the majority of men and women, too, I guess. He wanted what he couldn't get. He wanted Julie Gregg and worked his head off trying to land her. Only he said bean instead of head. <laughs> well, Jim's habits and his jokes didn't appeal to Julie. And, of course, he was a married man, so he didn't have no more chance than, well, than a rabbit. That's an expression of Jim's himself. When somebody didn't have no chance to get elected or something, Jim would always say they didn't have no more chance than a rabbit. The hell does that mean, Jim? That's not one of your better ones, Jim. Jim, nope. <laughs> I think he'd had a little too much gin when he came up with that one. He didn't make no bones about how he felt. Right in here, more than once, in front of the whole crowd, he said he was stuck on Julie and anybody that could get her for him was welcome to his house and his wife and kids included. But she wouldn't have nothing to do with him. Good. Wouldn't even speak to him on the street. He finally seen he wasn't getting nowheres with his usual line, so he decided to try the rough stuff. He went right up to her house one evening, and when she opened the door, he forced his way in and grabbed her. Oh, fuck no. But she broke loose, and before he could stop her, she run in the next room and locked the door and phoned to Joe Barnes. Uh, Joe's the marshal. Jim could hear who she was phoning, and he beat it before Joe got there. Oh, I really hate this man now. If I didn't want him dead before that story, now I definitely want this man to be, like, brutally murdered. Maybe by the carnival clowns. <laughs> the circus came to town. I would like to see some clowns stab him now. I wanted to get more and more gruesome and nightmarish for this dude. <laughs> so he booked it before Joe got there. Joe was an old friend of Julie's pa. Joe went to Jim the next day and told him what would happen if he ever done it again. I don't know how the news of this little affair leaked out. Chances is that Joe Barnes told his wife and she told somebody else's wife and they told their husband. Anyways, it did leak out and Hod Myers had the nerve to kid Jim about it right here in this shop. Jim didn't deny nothing and kind of laughed it off and said for us all to wait. Lots of people had tried to make a monkey out of him, but he always got even. There it is. The bully. Meanwhile, everybody in town was wise to Julie's being wild mad over the dock. I don't suppose she had any idea how her face changed when him and her was together. Of course, she couldn't have, or she'd have kept away from him. <laughs> and she didn't know that we Ain't was that all... Ain't that the truth? When you got a crush on somebody, you just don't even know. Well, everyone else can see it except for you. you well, You think uh, you're being so you cool. don't realize how obvious you're being. No. <laughs> And she didn't know that we was all noticing how many times she made excuses to go to his office or pass it on the other side of the street and look up at his window to see if he was there. I felt sorry for her, and oh. so did most other people. I don't feel sorry for her. Hod Myers kept rubbing it into Jim about how the doc had cut him out. Jim didn't pay no attention to the kitty, and you could see he was planning one of his jokes. 
one trick Jim had was the knack of changing his voice. He could make you think he was a uh, girl talky and he could mimic any man's voice. To show you how good he was along this line, I'll tell you the joke he played on me once. Oh, no. You know, in most towns, any size, when a man is dead and needs a shave, why the barber that shaves him soaks him $5 for the job. That is, he don't soak him, but whoever ordered the shave. I just charge $3 because personally, I don't mind much shaving a dead person. Ah! They lay a whole lot stiller than live customers. Oh my God. The only thing is that you don't feel like talking to them and you get kind of lonesome. And this guy clearly likes to talk. Well, about the coldest day we ever had here two years ago last winter, the phone rung at the house while I was home to dinner, and I answered the phone, and it was a woman's voice, and she said she was Mrs. John Scott, and her husband was dead, and would I come out and shave him? Old John had always been a good customer of mine, but they lived seven miles out in the country on Streeter Road. Still, I didn't see how I could say no. So, I said I would be there, but would have to come in a jitney, and it might cost three or four dollars besides the price of the shave. So she, or the voice, it said that was all right. So I got Frank Abbott to drive me out to the place, and when I got there, who should open the door but old John himself? He wasn't no more dead than... Well, than a rabbit. <laughs> Hoppity hop. It didn't take no private detective to figure out who had played me this little joke. Nobody could have thought it up but Jim Kendall. <laughs> he certainly was a card. He's the worst card in the deck. I hate him. <laughs> I tell you this incident just to show you how he could disguise his voice to make you believe that it was somebody else talking. This is why caller ID was invented. <laughs> I'd have swore it was Mrs. Scott had called me. Anyway, some woman. Well, Jim waited till he had Doc Stairs' voice down pat. Then he went after revenge. I'm going to kill this guy. He called Julie up on a night when he knew Doc was over in Carterville. She never questioned but what it was Doc's voice. Jim said he must see her that night. He couldn't wait no longer to tell her something. She was all excited and told him to come to the house. But he said he was expecting an important long-distance call. Then wouldn't she please forget her manners for once and come to his office? He said they couldn't nothing hurt her and nobody would see her and he just must talk to her a little while. Well... Poor Julie fell for it. I hope she kills him. Doc always keeps a nightlight in his office, so it looked to Julie like there was somebody there. Meanwhile, Jim Kendall had went to Wright's pool room, where there was a whole gang amusing themselves. The most of them had drank plenty of gin, and they was a rough bunch even when sober. It was always strong for Jim's jokes, and when he told them to come with him and see some fun, they'd give up their card games and pool games and followed along. 
Doc's office is on the second floor. Right outside his door, there's a flight of stairs leading to the floor above. Jim and his gang hid in the dark behind these stairs. Well, Julie come up the Doc's door and rung the bell, and there was nothing going. She rung it again, and she rung it seven or eight times. Then she tried the door and found it was locked. Then Jim made some kind of noise, and she heard it and waited a minute, and then said, Is that you, Ralph? Uh, Ralph is Doc's first name. <laughs> there was no answer, and it must have come to her all of a sudden that she'd been bunked. She pretty near fell downstairs, the whole gang after her. They chased her all the way home, hollering, Is that you, Ralph? And, Oh, Ralph, a dear, is that you? Jim says he couldn't holler at himself as he was laughing too hard. Oh, my God, I'm going to kill all these people. <laughs> Poor Julie. She didn't show up here on Main Street for a long, long time afterward. And, of course, Jim and his gang told everybody in town, everybody but Doc Stare. They were scared to tell him. And he might have never known only for Paul Dixon, the poor cuckoo, as Jim called him. He was here in the shop one night when Jim was still gloating yet over what he'd done to Julie, and Paul took in as much of it as he could understand, and he run to Doc with the story. Paul is like boo... Uh, Boo Bradley. Bradley. It's a cinch. Doc went up in the air and swore he'd make Jim suffer. But it was a kind of a delicate thing, because if it got out that he had beat Jim up, Julie was bound to hear of it, and then she'd know that Doc knew, and of course, knowing that he knew would make it worse for her than ever. He was going to do something, but it took a lot of figuring. Well... It was a couple days later when Jim was here in the shop again, and so was the cuckoo. Oh, my God. Jim was going duck shooting the next day and had come in looking for Hod Myers to go with him. I happen to know that Hod had went over to Canterville and wouldn't be home till the end of the week. So... Jim said he hated to go alone, and he guessed he would call it off. Then poor Paul spoke up and said if Jim would take him, he would go along. Jim thought a while, then said, well, he guessed a halfway. It was better than nothing. Oh, my God. I hope that I hope he shoots him in the head. <laughs> I suppose he was plotting to get Paul out in the boat and play some joke on him, like pushing him in the water. Anyways, he said Paul could go. He asked him had he ever shot a duck, and Paul said no, he'd never even had a gun in his hands. So Jim said he could sit in the boat and watch him, and if he behaved himself, he might lend him his gun for a couple of shots. They made a date to meet in the morning, and that's the last I seen of Jim alive. Yes! Next oh morning, God. I hadn't been open more than 10 minutes when Doc Stare come in. He looked kind of nervous. He asked me if I'd seen Paul Dixon. I said no, but I knew where he was, out duck shooting with Jim Kendall. 
So Doc says that's what he had heard and he couldn't understand it because Paul had told him he wouldn't never have no more to do with Jim as long as he lived. Uh, (laughs) He said Paul had told him about the joke Jim had played on Julie. He said Paul had asked him what he thought of the joke and the doc told him that anybody that would do a thing like that ought not to be let live. I mean, I agree. I said it might have been a kind of raw thing, but Jim just couldn't resist no kind of joke, no matter how raw. I said I thought he was all right at heart, but just bubbling over with mischief. Doc turned and walked out. Yeah, yeah, I think so. At noon, he got a phone call from old John Scott. The lake where Jim and Paul had went shooting is on John's place. Paul had come running up to the house a few minutes before and said they'd been an accident. Jim had shot a few ducks and then give the gun to Paul and told him to try his luck. Paul had never handled a gun and he was nervous. He was shaking so hard that he couldn't control the gun. He let fire and Jim sunk back in the boat, dead. Doc Stair, being the coroner, jumped in Frank Abbott's fiver and rushed out to Scott's farm. Paul and old John was down on the shore of the lake. Paul had rowed the boat ashore, but they'd left the body in it, waiting for the doc to come. Doc examined the body and said they might as well fetch it back to town. There was no use leaving it there or calling a jury, as it was a plain case of accidental shooting. Personally, I wouldn't never leave a person shoot a gun in the same boat I was in unless I was sure they knew something about guns. Jim was a sucker to leave a new beginner have his gun, let alone a half-wit. Probably served Jim right what he got, but still, we miss him around here. (laughs) He certainly was a card. Uh, comb it wet or dry? enemies yeah i was like someone is going to get him like the way it was phrased he was murdered or something happened to him that was you know of someone else's doing on purpose i'm pretty happy i'm pretty happy that paul went and like revenged his uh his love because he uh was assaulting and like harassing this woman who was just had feelings for somebody else and he's a married <laughs> and is a dick yeah i'm hoping uh he had life insurance and his wife and kids can now <laughs> go to the circus <laughs> yeah that's a hell of a monologue yeah that felt like the most acting i have done yeah in this this because it was just the one, ca- character, was one character and sort of having to so i i feel a little i like i'm kind of spent after that one yeah no it was and it was fun to, it was like watching a play That'd actually be an, that'd be a really fun play. Be a very easy adaptation. Yeah, very easy. You adaptation. literally just read the story. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, awesome. If you enjoyed that story, um, we hope you'll tell a friend um, or uh, listen to more stories. If you want to leave a review, you can go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review and uh, write up a little, little little spiel. Those are very helpful. And You can tell everyone how foxy I am. Yes. I mean, he is very foxy. I mean, if you go to the website, if you go to campfireclassicspodcast.com you can see how foxy he is <laughs> there's some photos if you'd like to um see for yourself um we have no qualms with selling uh selling our sexy <laughs> i have no qualms with selling his sexy because he's I'll mine sell, I'll, I'll sell i'll sell my foxy for a few listeners hell yeah <laughs> it's like our version of OnlyFans. yeah it's our podcast website <laughs> Uh, we but need if- to come up with a, a mile marker that we're trying to hit, and I'll do a photo shoot in a fox costume. Or maybe just some fox ears. <laughs> well, I mean. <laughs> so like the slutty Halloween yeah, costume like version. Yeah, that's, that's okay. what I was thinking, was the like college co-ed fox. The, co- <laughs> the college co-ed fox. I hope that's what those packages that you see at the Halloween stores that are just like, <laughs> oh, it's the slutty version of that animal. I hope they're just called college co-ed squirrel college co-ed cockroach <laughs> like, oh you know it's real sexy cockroach you know it's real <laughs> but yes of if you want to <laughs> the animals that should not have a sexy version the cockroach like a sexy cuttlefish <laughs> which is like blah, 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 in front of your face uh, sexy uh, tapeworm. <laughs> uh, we eat you from the inside out. <laughs> I mean, this year there was a sexy COVID nineteen costume, and it was like the virus thing. No, yeah, there they they that have, makes me so sad. It's they have no shame, darling. <laughs> it's real. It was sexy COVID-19. No. Yep. Inappropriate. Agreed. (laughs) It's like, I mean, like, if you're going to do that, then you might as well, like, just be sexy toe fungus. (laughs) Sexy chlamydia. (laughs) Well, I suppose at least chlamydia is thematically... (laughs) Tied to sex. Uh, well, if you want to learn about our sexy selves, yes, campfireclassicspodcast.com. And if you want to be in our OnlyFans club, but not really because we don't have an OnlyFans, but you want to like give us a little support and some get some behind the scenes action, um, you can become a patron of ours at patreon.com and uh, just go to patreon.com and search for Campfire Classics Podcast, or you can find that via the website. Uh, we also are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Follow us, like us, interact with us, ask us questions. If you have story suggestions, we love that. Um, and uh, that's all I have to say. Regular listeners will probably have realized that whenever we get to this part of the episode, I let Heather do all of the because um, I do all the Facebook, marketing, Instagram, Twitter, and that's because I don't know how any of those things work. Because <laughs> I'm in, he does the editing and like the all that you know technical stuff, and I do the, like I'm the face of the company, but he does look good in a fox costume, so he'll be the face if you give us enough money. <laughs> <laughs> if we can get like. 
five new patrons in the month of March, I think Ken's going to do a sexy I'll do, fox I'll do shoot. A, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do a uh, college co-ed animal calendar. A full calendar? Yep. Oh, 12 animals. Damn. Okay. With five new patrons? All right. If we get five new patrons in the month of March. In the month of March. All right, you guys, you heard it here. If you're still listening, five, and I'm totally going to add this clip to like the like advertisement for this week. <laughs> so if we get five new patrons in the munch, if we get in the munch, munch, if we get five new patrons in the month of March, Ken will do a sexy co ed animal calendar. Yep. <laughs> for patrons only. For patrons only. For patrons only. So um, you bet you can join for as little as two dollars a month. Yep. It's less than a cup of coffee, y'all. Uh, those those new patrons will have to stay for. Uh, we'll say it, you'll, you have to stay for at least two months. At least two months, because it's going to take that for long me to, for us to, to do, it. do the photo shoot. But yes, if we get five new patrons who stay for at least two months in the month well, of March, because we're only going to release it to the patrons. Yeah. So if they don't stay, they're not going to. And get then if it. you don't stay, you won't get it. So I'm just saying, y'all. Um, It'll be a 2022 calendar. Yeah. So you have that to look forward to. Ow! And we'll release, like, some previews. So, five new patrons, month of March. Do, Do it. it. <laughs> and with that, um, I think Is that's that it. I think that's everything. Great. Well, uh, in that case, until next time, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. I want to be a sexy tadpole next week. <laughs> Then people will think I'm a sperm. Just a sperm? Yeah. Never mind. I guess technically you were once. I.